Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. I'm Steve Letarte, STP auto expert and former crew chief. I know what it takes to keep engines performing at their best. STP's latest breakthrough additive, STP Ultra 5-in-1 plus Fuel System Cleaner plus Fuel Stabilizer delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline and helps keep fuel fresh during storage. For over 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products to help engines run better, longer. One bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. Welcome to the NASCAR NBC podcast presented by STP. We're happy to have a presenting sponsor for the NASCAR NBC podcast. So thank you, STP, for being the presenting sponsor. I'm your host, Nate Ryan, and I'm back here at the NBC Sports Charlotte studio today with Brian Keselowski, who is uh, kind enough to uh, come down here on a Wednesday morning driving through the rain from uh, Huntersville and, and being here. So first of all, appreciate you coming down. Absolutely. Well, having STP as a sponsor sure helps right away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, they couldn't have much of a better sponsor for racing, especially in NASCAR. So yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Somewhat iconic, uh, yeah. to say the least, considering their association with the King. And this grew out of, uh, we've interacted a, a little bit on Twitter this year. I've interacted sure. with you in the past, but it's, it's been a little bit more so, uh, this year. Uh, and in particular, um, it was during a, a debate, which I love having on Twitter, about um, the end of the stage at uh, the second stage at Martinsville Speedway a mm-hmm. couple of weeks ago, where Kyle Busch, of course, got bumped out of the way by Ricky Stenhouse Jr., and there was kind of a debate about, you know, was it right, was it wrong? And uh, we, we had, I, I had a great exchange with you and some fans about, like, what happened, and uh, I felt like I learned some things from that. And in the course of that, I also learned that. You, know, you you just said that you you like talking racing. You're oh, on yeah. Twitter a lot, and you like Absolutely. talking racing. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, I, I've been born in the grandstands, basically, you know. So yeah. my dad's raced ever since I could. I was alive, really, and uh, his grandfather or his dad raced. So my grandfather. Um, so me and Brad, we both grew up in the racetrack, and that's all yeah. we've ever known. So um, it's funny. Uh, my fiance says that she hates watches watching racing with me because. She says, you know everything that's going to happen before it happens, you know? So uh, I feel like I've got a, a fairly good wealth of experience of being at the racetrack, watching racing, kind of understanding it, both from the inside and outside perspective of it. So, yeah, I love talking racing. Yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll get to all of that, but let's let's um, first just give a brief overview. You're 35 years old, and you've raced in Cup, Xfinity, and Trucks, mm-hmm. and ARCA. Mm-hmm. Um, you're a winner in ARCA. Uh, but really, you've... As you said, you're born in the grandstands. I mean, your 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 background in racing goes back to uh, what when you were probably ten years old. Oh, you started working yeah, at that or shop earlier. I mean, I've got pictures of where I learned my fractions when I was a kid, which apparently not a lot of people understand anymore. It's hard to get people to even learn how to read tape measure. But um, <laughs> I used to help my dad stagger race car tires on the back of the trailer. You know, when we were, when right. he was running Arca back in the late '80s and. That was something that we did. That's how I learned how to, to add and subtract and, and be able to do racing stuff, you know. And Dad used to have grain scales, and we would weigh them with, you know, different weights on them. We'd have to run around and add them all together and, and you know, divide it and subtract it and make it all work. So I learned a lot from racing because that's what I wanted to do. That's what my dad did. That's what I wanted to do. So yeah. um, learning how to do a lot of things in the world on as far as race cars um, that's all, all I wanted to do. So I, I've, I've been in it my whole life. That's all I've ever wanted to do. I still, that's all I want to do. Yeah. So. How old were you when you started working your dad shop? I would say, uh, about summer I was 12 years old. Okay. Um, mom and dad were on the race, uh, on the road a lot, trying to go to the racetrack. So when I got a chance, I could be in the shop when I wasn't in school. Um, and we started, you know, kind of going to the track. I shouldn't say I was actually doing much. I mean, I was 12 <laughs> years old, but I probably caused more harm than I did any good. But um, I started at least learning a lot back then. And probably by the time I was about 14, 15 years old, I was working in the shop quite a bit. Okay. Well, we had uh, Brad Kozlowski, who, of course, is Brian's younger brother. And that is the same Brad Kozlowski who won the 2012 NASCAR championship. So, yes, this there's, <laughs> there's no coincidence there. Um, we had Brad on the podcast last year, and he was telling me a story about how 
uh, his dad, your dad used to have him make brackets. Mm-hmm. Uh, he told this great story. You might have heard of this, or maybe he had you do it too, <laughs> that he spent like, I don't know how many hours like making brackets. Um, and his dad, like, you know, your dad like looked it over and, and made sure they were right. And I think he had him redo them. And then like Brad was in like a hardware store or something you and saw buy them for 10 cents. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he saw they were built for 10 cents. Yeah. So you, you probably were used to right. that. Well, okay. my dad used, was used to making everything himself, you know, yeah. back when, uh, when he first started racing, they built their own cars. Um, yeah. you know, when they, when my uncle ran cup back in the late sixties, early seventies, they actually bought some cars from Petty and started that way. But um, when he started late model racing and doing stuff kind of himself, you know, there was never a lot of money there. So it was mm-hmm. always, you had to kind of do it yourself. So if you wanted a rack and pinion, you had to go to a junkyard and take it out of a street car and fix it and make it a race car part. Mm-hmm. If you wanted a spindle, you built a spindle yourself. You didn't go to a store and go buy it. There was no store to go buy that at. So that was, you know, how he, he grew up and how he come up through racing. So he kind of taught us the same thing because yeah, you could go buy them for 10 cents over there or you could make them and learn how to do it yourself. And, mm-hmm. you know, he was a chassis builder. So that's kind of where we learn from. And knowledge is power. The more you yeah, know about absolutely. a race car, if you can buy it, it's better just to know how Exactly. If you can yeah. build it, that's fine. I mean, yeah, it could be cheaper and it's probably a lot easier just going to buy it at this time. And, but um, that just wasn't possible before. So yeah. we learned how to do stuff like that, which I think gives you a little greater appreciation for the parts on your car. Right. Ron Keselowski is your uncle that mm-hmm. you mentioned. He, he raced cup. Bob Keselowski is your father and, and Brad's father. And he uh, raced in the truck series for a while. I, I'm, did he race cup as well? or just? Uh, my dad ran one or two cup races. He actually okay. ran one for Jimmy Hensley. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Jimmy Means. Mm-hmm. But it was at Pocono, and they, they did a uh, green and, and yellow at the start of the race. And okay. by the time they threw the green flag, the motor blew up. So <laughs> that was the extent of his cup career. Oh, so well. it didn't get very far. But, uh, yeah, he did run the truck series right from the inception in 95 and until uh, the end of 99. And he had a, a great career in, in trucks. K Automotive Motorsports was the name of the team. He, mm-hmm. I know he won Richmond um, and and did really well as a team uh, based in Michigan. What Do you know much about Ron and Bob's background, Brian? Like oh, what, yeah. what caused them to get into racing? Like why they loved well, it? Well, I mean, same as me. <laughs> their, yeah. their father was in racing, and that's kind of where they started. Uh, my grandfather was actually a motorcycle racer back oh, okay. in the 40s, and um, he got – uh, he crashed really bad and he was in the hospital for a while and that was pretty much the end of that. So my grandmother's like, listen, you're not going to be doing that anymore. So they decided to go car racing. He owned a local garage in town and somebody he knew had a race car. So they bought a race car and went racing. I think the first one they had destroyed it the first night out. So, I mean, <laughs> but they was kind of hooked from there and that's kind of where my dad and my uncle grew up. Um, my grandfather was more of an engine builder. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of where my uncle went. My uncle was an engine builder. Uh, my dad, because they were engine builders, they didn't need engine builders anymore. So my dad started to learn how to work on chassis. Um, they actually spent a lot of time down in the South in the sixties and, you know, worked with Harry Hyde and people like that. So my dad learned a lot of knowledge from those kind of guys on how to build race cars and setups and things like that when he was really young. So, hmm. uh, that's kind of how they got involved in it. Uh, when Ron got back from Vietnam in the late sixties, that's when he started driving and they kind of formed their own team and went racing. Now my dad was very young at that time. He was 19, 20 years old mm-hmm. and he was basically the crew chief and my uncle was the driver. And that's what they did for about four or five years there. Ran you sack in the cup series wow and uh i guess you've kind of followed a similar progression here and that mm-hmm. like like your dad you, you've you've been both roles as well crew chief yeah, oh and yeah driver. um you know that's kind of where i started before i was ever a race car driver i was a mechanic on the race car yeah so i never actually got a chance to drive until i was 18 years old so that was a real late start for most people most people know yeah. <laughs> if you don't have a development deal by the time you're 18 you're probably not even going to make it anymore you know but right. i never even started until i was 18 years old so i got a real late start most of that was because of how the family team kind of was working out. We didn't have a lot of sponsorship at the time. And, right. you know, by the time I was 17, 18 years old, we started getting sponsorship and things were rolling so I could start driving. So that's just how it worked out. But I was always kind of on both sides of the fence. I've worked on my own cars. I've worked on other people's stuff and, and crew chiefed and drove other people's stuff and yeah. did everything I could just to stay in racing. But that's kind of where I grew up. Yeah, yeah. And the, the, the family teams obviously were based uh, in Michigan, Um I think in Rochester Hills and at uh, Auburn, Auburn Hills, Hills and okay. then uh, Lake Orion towards the end of when okay. we were in the truck series, which is gotcha. all really close to the same area. So right yeah. around where the uh, Pontiac Silverdome, where the Detroit Lions played, and then later on over by where the Detroit Pistons played. Right. So, um, 
you know, it was all kind of a local thing, which sounds like it's kind of far away from the NASCAR world. And it is a little bit, but it isn't as difficult as you think. And there's Mm -hmm. a lot of teams that are actually doing that right now pretty successfully. Uh, being based out in, being in based out of somewhere other yeah. than north carolina yeah, yeah. i yeah. mean for the truck series you have thor sport and obviously they had sure. won a couple championships here lately and uh um now you in the cup series you have uh the furniture row racing team and they're based out of denver now, obviously yeah. they get a lot of help out of north carolina but um today's world it's not necessary that you have to stay here but it's a lot easier i can tell you that you know it's, it's interesting Brad, because that, that's, i think that sometimes gets overlooked i certainly maybe not in the case of furniture row i mean that their success has been well documented mm-hmm. since truex uh, came aboard and since they really went to another level the last couple of seasons and I, I as you mentioned i mean a lot of that was aligning with toyota and gibbs last year but uh at the same time i mean i can remember you know, go back 10 years. And it seemed like at that time, the Wood Brothers are moving to Virginia. Um, Morgan McClure, which was Virginia based, they Mm -hmm. shut down. Junie Dunleavy, of course, was based in Richmond. I mean, those are all Virginia teams. But it seemed like at the time, there were a lot of teams that were outside of Charlotte that had a rough go of it. And some of them probably, you know, decided to move or Curtis Key, I think, moved his, his shop here because he thought, this this was the place to be. Do you, is that changed a little bit? You think it, it has somewhat. I thought the same thing in two thousand nine mm-hmm. uh, when I had my own nationwide series team, and I said, you know what, I need to go to North Carolina. At the time, a lot of people were losing their jobs. There was a lot of people available. Yeah. So I said, you know what, I need to go to North Carolina so I can try to make this work. At the time, I had to get out of the car to crew chief my own car and have other drivers drive it because I couldn't find people to work on it in Michigan. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, I'm going to move to North Carolina. I probably wasn't as well as I thought it was going to work out. <laughs> um, a lot of things happened in 2010 that really didn't go my way. But either way, that didn't really work out the way I thought it was going to work. Um, but, you know, it is easier to be here. All the things that you need to build a race car, including the NASCAR Tech Center, is all based out of Charlotte. Right. So if you really want to run a, a race team and make it a little easier on yourself, being based out of here is a whole lot easier. But it's not impossible either. Yeah. What do you think the advantages are? What were the advantages when you had your family team based in Michigan? Um, one of the major advantages is just not getting cherry picked by other race teams. You know? so, <laughs> it's a lot harder people uh, to steal your guys. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, when somebody lives out of, you know, uh, Denver now with Furniture Row or lives up in Ohio or lives in Michigan where we work, um, other than Roush had a truck team there for quite a while that mm-hmm. was based out of Michigan. There wasn't people really stealing your guys. You weren't rolling toolboxes down the road over to the next shop, which can happen a lot more down here. Um, I don't know if it happens as much as it used to. It used to be like an everyday occurrence. People were back and forth all the time. But, I mean, it was kind of funny. The toolboxes were on better tires than most of the cars. uh, (laughs) um, You know, it just it's not as difficult as people make it sound. But you do have to plan ahead a little better when you're living outside of this region that's for sure yeah how many how many people did you guys have on the the family team back well then? one time we were up to probably about 15 to 20 people um mm-hmm. we were running actually dodge we were really big in with dodge uh, we're like running an engineering team mid, so. mid to late 90s uh, late 90s yeah okay. with yep. the mopar deal when dennis setzer was driving for us uh, we were running really good actually almost won a championship in 99 um came within the last race and just like 20 points from from winning it so mm-hmm. um at the time we were running an engineering program, we were based no more than about three miles away from the Chrysler headquarters and things were going really well. So we had quite a bit of people there. We didn't build our own chassis, but we did all of our own repair work, built all of our own bodies and we got engines from an outside source, but mostly we did everything we needed to do in house. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, obviously things changed Mm -hmm. around what the middle part of the 2000s around 2004 um well in 2003 my dad had a major heart issue Mm -hmm. and um that was real touch and go for a while there and unfortunately the driver at the time that we had took the sponsor onto another team so that's when it really kind of started on the downhill side um we really struggled to try to find sponsorship and had to put other drivers in a truck that could bring money. Right. Um, then we thought we had a sponsor and put Brad in a truck and that was going to start working out. Well, sponsor never paid. And yeah. That's, you know, that doesn't as work soon as that racing. happened, yeah. that was it. I mean, yeah. we made it through the rest of 2005, but that was about as far as we could make it. So the plan was that Brad would sort of carry the flag. Like yeah. I mean, that kind of worked account. out that yeah. way. Um, you know, me and Brad were kind of at the same time, kind of coming up through late models and trying to get to that point. Um, Brad had a little more success than I did at the time, um, you know, but he had actually been driving for a lot longer than I had, too. So, you know, I, I started driving some ARCA races at the same time that he started driving the truck stuff. And I actually had a little more success doing the ARCA thing than he was doing in the trucks. Of course, the trucks were a lot harder and, you know, yeah. with a rookie team and not a lot of money made it pretty difficult. But uh, 
Um, so that was kind of the plan is he was going to start driving that truck, and he did in 2004, but we had to pull him out about mid-season because lack of sponsorship. Right. And w- would you have been the crew chief, or do you think they I was like yeah. the um, car chief, I guess you would say. My dad yeah. was kind of crew chief in it at the time. So, um, you know, we didn't have a lot of people, so we were all just kind of building it and going along as we could. Yeah, so. yeah. But, you know, I have always always involved in it. When uh, the truck series first started doing live pit stops in 98, I was the jack man, but I was only 16 years old. Wow. So, you know, it was, <laughs> that was the summer I was 16 years old, uh, and um, I never did the live pit stop in my life. So I, I can remember it like it was yesterday. We were in California, and they said, okay, we're going to start doing live pit stops, and the next race was going to be in Pikes Peak. We didn't even have a race jack. Well, we did <laughs> We did halfway pit stops at this, right, so you didn't right. need a race jack. Because at that you know? time, the truck series, just to explain for everybody, they had a halftime break, Yep. and and this was intended to limit costs. Oh, the, yeah, the absolutely. The truck teams it would need pit crews, and, and it did, obviously. Absolutely. And then they eventually, NASCAR decided, as you said, like midway through 98, hey, mm-hmm. um, we want to have it be maybe a little bit more of a national kind of – I don't know if legitimate is the right word, but they wanted to, to make it more professional. They I suppose, wanted right? to get it to where, you know, like the other series were. Right, and, right, right. you know, the halfway break thing is kind of more of a local type sure. thing. And, you know, they were starting to expand onto bigger racetracks, which was a bigger part of that deal. Because the racetracks that we ran in the early to mid-90s, they weren't even capable of doing pit stops. Right. You know, so once we started going to places like California, Texas, you know, the bigger racetracks for the truck series, that's when they, they brought the pit stops back with it. Yeah. So. Um, but that was interesting. You know, I won my first race as a Jackman when I was 17 years old at Bakersfield, California. So <laughs> no kidding. And I, I mean, I had just turned 17. So, um, so yeah, Bob I mean, won that race in Bakersfield. No, it was actually uh, Dennis Setzer. Oh, was Dennis Setzer won it. Yeah. Okay, okay. My dad was starting to have some health issues back then. And that was okay. when Dennis started driving. But, uh, yeah, I was 17 years old. <laughs> I had to go from high school. I was senior year of high school and I had to fly from my, my high school to come in and jack the crew, you know, jack the trucks for the crew. So. Um, that was interesting to say the least, but you <laughs> how know, much, I've been in it for a while. So <laughs> <laughs> how much practice did you have jacking the truck before you did that? You know, not Bakersfield? very much. And then a lot of the crew was older than I was. You know, yeah. a lot of the guys that worked on the team were probably mid to late thirties. So when we had a bad pit stop, of course it was my fault because you, know, <laughs> you can blame the 16 year old kid a lot easier. Well, we had a, a pit stop practice one time and my dad thought, all right, well, I wasn't near as big as I am now. So, <laughs> so well, maybe you're just not heavy enough. So he put two bars of lead in my pockets and said, all right, run around and do that. Well, my pants fell off, but I still did the pit stop. So. <laughs> but, you know, this is all just in practice. But no, I didn't have a lot of practice at the time, but um at that time, I actually felt like I was getting pretty successful at it. We started winning a lot of races, and, you know, I, I enjoyed that part of it. That's kind of over with now. I really wouldn't rather go over the wall yeah. anymore. These guys are, are fast and really good at it now. Yeah. So it wasn't quite as professional as it was back then. Or back then, wasn't near as professional as it is now. But um, You were good enough to win at Mesa Marin, and that's yeah, all well, that you matters, know, right? we Yeah, 17 <laughs> years old, too. How many um, stops? Like, probably like three or four I think stops? I made two stops. Two you stops? know, at the time, okay. they, they had a limit of under caution. You could only do two tire stops. Mm-hmm. And they had a limit on how many people could actually go over the wall. Um, so we still had catch cans back then. So you had to have a catch can, man. Yeah. You're only allowed six guys over the wall. So not only did I jack, I had to hang a tire, too. So that was a little different than yeah. than what it is, you know, even the last couple of years. But um it's interesting to see the evolution of the truck series and where it came and where it is now. Yeah, because back then it used to run places like Mace Marine. It was yeah. intended more like as a short track. It was more of a short track series. series. The biggest yeah. racetrack that we went to for the first couple of years was Phoenix. Yep. Um, maybe Walt Disney World when it was a mile track there, you know. So um, it, was, it was a fun series to be involved in, you know. And I was growing up at that time, too. I was still 14, 15 years old when we first started running it. So um, a lot of kids a lot of racers that we had raced with in arca started moving over to that series you know when the series first started it was a champion series Mm -hmm. but it was not a nascar champion series it was a late model champion from the west coast it was a arca champion from michigan it was you know a a southwest tour champion it just it was champions from all over the country that came and ran that series so it was a pretty neat series to be involved in. sure and the kozlowski family certainly uh made its mark there would, would would the plan brian maybe eventually have been if things had worked out if sponsorship had been there like to have you and brad racing for the team together we never really kind of got that far yeah um so maybe but it really wasn't something that you know when it, when brad started driving the truck i started driving the arca car and 
that was just kind of where we got to. We yeah. never really yeah, there was had no grand made it master farther plan. and just kind of seen where it was. Yeah, there wasn't yeah. a huge master plan and say, all right, here's what we're going to do. I had just come off of winning the track championship at Toledo in 2003, mm-hmm. which was a pretty big deal for me. Um, and, you know, Brad had won a couple races, and we were doing pretty well for ourselves until the sponsorship left, and that kind of everything hit the fan after that. Okay, we're going to pause the podcast right here so that I can tell you about a supporter of the podcast who I am very enthused to tell you about because I've used their product often. It's Blue Apron and Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. Its mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone and they achieve that by supporting a more sustainable food system, setting the highest standards for ingredients and building a community of home chefs. Now, in this case, that chef doesn't really include me. It's my wife, who uh, is a little under the weather, so she couldn't be back on the podcast, although she's sad about that. She really enjoys singing the praises of Blue Apron the way I do. Uh, if I had to be a chef, however, I could do it, because Blue Apron delivers the food with some really detailed, easy-to-follow instructions. All of the portions are correct, and it's, it's very easy to uh, cook a very simple and delicious meal for less than $10 per person per per meal. Uh, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with some pre-proportioned ingredients to make these home-cooked meals. They have a lot of variety. There's a lot of different recipes, uh, new recipes each week, um, and you can customize your recipes based on preferences. And there are also many delivery options. There's no weekly commitment. You only get deliveries when you want them. And again, each meal comes with a step-by-step easy to follow recipe card um, can be prepared in 40 minutes or less and it comes with a guarantee that if it's not right that they will make it right um, now not all ingredients are created equal I think you need fresh high quality ingredients to make a real difference um, there's a restaurant I went to tonight that uh, we go to specifically because it has really fresh high quality ingredients it's, that's the main reason I go there it's a little bit pricier but I will go there um, to buy it. And um, I feel the same way about Blue Apron. Um, But again, Blue Apron, very affordable, less than $10 per person, per meal. Uh, Some of the featured meals this week include um, spinach and fresh fresh mozzarella pizza with olives, bell peppers, and ricotta salata. Sweet and sour salmon with bok choy, carrot, and ginger fried rice. Parmesan crusted chicken with creamy fettuccine and roasted broccoli. And baby broccoli and fontina paninis with hard-boiled egg and arugula salad. Easy for me to say. Uh, They're all delicious, trust me. Even if I can't pronounce them, I do taste them. And they're extremely... um, in enjoyable meals. Um, Blue Apron has established partnerships with over 150 local farms, fisheries, and ranchers across the United States. The seafood is sourced sustainably under standards developed in partnership with the Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch. The beef, chicken, and pork come from responsible raised, responsibly raised animals, and the produce is sourced from farms that practice regenerative farming. So, Again, all of these things are, are very good for you. They make for very good meals. And the best part is I also have a deal to offer you. If you check out this week's menu at blueapron.com, you get your first three meals free with free shipping if you go to blueapron.com slash car. Again, that's blueapron.com slash car. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. Blueapron.com slash car. That's the way to get this deal. Three meals free with free shipping. This is a really good deal. Trust me, even though these meals are already very, very affordable, you're getting three meals free with free shipping if you go to blueapron.com slash car. Blue Apron, it's a better way to cook. Well, just to give people a little bit idea of your background, and I want to I want to get to some more about your starts in Cup. You made three starts in Cup, 
Um, 63 in the Xfinity Series, it had a top 10 there. And in Arca, you've had your, your most success in terms of national series. With, mm-hmm. with your uncle, you, you won three times, twice at Berlin, um, once at Salem, and you actually had 25 top 10s and 42 starts from uh, 2014 to, to 16. So you've, you've had an accomplished career, I would say, uh, on the national level. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I actually did a story on Brad when I was still at USA Today um, six years ago. I talked to you on the phone for that story. I remember you telling me that um, it, it started out for you and Brad kind of together uh, in this uh, dirt track, this makeshift dirt track, I think, that you had <laughs> created in an open field next to the, the shop in yeah. Auburn Hills that was the home to your family's architect. Yeah, there was a, kind of an empty field next to our shop, and we had a go-kart, you know, just kind of yard cart. And that's we just had fun driving it around and yeah. uh you know there was a summer that i probably spent more time than i should have riding that than i was helping in the race <laughs> shop but, um you know that's just kind of where we started where we grew up and what we were doing you know and just had fun more than anything we we're just little kids at the time yeah. so yeah um unfortunately there was a time that i didn't know mechanics very well and didn't keep up with oil on it very well and when brad got a chance to drive it it seized right up so, oh really yeah that didn't really work out so um but you live and you learn and you go on from there but uh, you know we had a lot of fun when we were kids at that shop and that was back when my dad first started running the truck series when he was in the arco series and um it was a fun time, you know, especially up there in the summer. It's a good time. Yeah. And so you and Brad are about, what, three years apart? Uh, yeah, two and a half. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And I, I think you said at that time that um, it was good there was only one cart because if you would have had two, <laughs> yeah, you probably would have raced each other. We would have raced each, each other really hard and killed <laughs> each other. Yeah. There was probably times we almost killed each other anyhow with one cart. So, yeah, it, uh, that probably wasn't a good idea. We haven't had to race each other a whole lot, and that's probably more for the best. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you were kind of focused more on late model. Well, uh, we, when up. we started coming through, um, Brad ran quarter midgets when I was I was probably about 16. He was about 12. So mm-hmm. um, he started running quarter midgets and kind of moved up through there. When he got to 16 years old, I was 18. And that's when I started running late models. But he was running some lower levels, like factory gotcha. stocks and things like that. So, right. um, But he moved up pretty quick. He was winning a lot of races. So Dad kind of kept him on a pretty good path. To, if you're going to win a lot of races, keep moving up. You know, you don't want to just stay still. And um, that's probably something from my dad's experience where he had stayed in like ARCA and late models for a little longer than he wanted to. Mm -hmm. So he didn't want to see us do that. He wanted us to be able to progress pretty quickly if we were going to be successful. So um, the first year or so, you know, I I ran quite a bit the first year or so, and Brad did too. He moved up to limited late models and outlaw late models, and that's kind of where I was when I first started was the outlaw late models. And, um, you know, they're – they're like fire breathing dragons up there. So yeah, they're, yeah, they're yeah. a lot different late model than most people run around this country, but, uh, they had NASCAR race motors in them and you know, they were, they were outlaw cars. They were, they were the equivalent of a sprint car to an outlaw on a sprint car side. So, uh, a lot of fun. Um, but we kind of grew up through that and that's where we moved on. When we started having success, we kept moving up the ladder. What were some of those tracks that you were in? Those were in um, Michigan, I take Yeah, it, but Michigan, it? uh, Toledo, Ohio, yep. um, auto city in Michigan, which is still there and they're still running. Um, Owasso in Michigan and, and Lansing, places like that. Brad ran Kalamazoo in Berlin. I actually never had run over on the west side of the state. They they just have a different kind of car over there. It's hmm. it's a little you know lighter, but not as big a motor as what we ran on the east side. So I just didn't even bother going over there. He tried and got his butt kicked a bunch of times. So uh, that's actually where his first experience with any NASCAR driver happened was at Berlin, and it was with Tony Stewart. And it didn't go well. So, oh really? Yeah, so <laughs> Were you there that night? I was, and okay. I yeah that um, that was interesting. He was there for a big show, and Tony was there as the big NASCAR driver driving Randy Sweet's car. Who's the big time guy over there? Was Cup racing at Michigan? And I believe Speedway. so. It must have been because it was yeah. probably like a June race or something, right? And, yeah. Um, Brad had to make the field through a qualifying race, which everybody had to run a qualifying race. So he's running, I think, in the first spot not to transfer in. The top 12 transfer in, he's 13th. Oh, well, Tony wow. Stewart takes the lead, but you are not allowed radios and you're not allowed mirrors in these cars. And that's part of the rules that they had up there. Well, Brad turned down into the corner, and Tony was taking the lead at the same time Brad had taken into the corner, and Tony was going to lap him. And they got together. Tony spun out. Brad didn't. Well, Tony got so mad that he parked the car, and it just so happened that Brad was on the lead lap because Tony was the leader when he spun out. So Brad got into the race because Tony spun out on the side of Brad. So it was a little interesting that that was his first kind of experience with Tony Stewart and all the experience they've had since then. But, yeah. uh, you know, that's um, – 
it's kind of where we came from. Brad always challenging the establishment, I guess. <laughs> well, that wasn't even on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I kind of looked that way, didn't it? So yeah, um, it's funny. Brad, Brad's always been looked at a little differently when he's at the racetrack. And I don't know if it's, he's always looked younger than he actually is. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, when he started as a 16 year old running factory stocks, those guys didn't like him there either. Really? Yeah. yeah. Especially when he was beating them. You know? So, yeah. you know, he won eight or nine times that year and he, they didn't like getting beat by this little kid coming in and whipping up on him. Sure. Well, uh, he's the youngest of what? Five, five, yep. you five brothers and sisters mm-hmm. in your, your family. And, uh, I mean, y- you mentioned it earlier, Brian. I mean, you're, you're a big guy. Um, <laughs> and Brad is not. <laughs> no, not near as big. No, no. Yeah. Uh, I played football and he didn't. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, so, um, I don't know how that ever really worked itself out, but, uh, yeah, that's always, I, I always tell people I always had to work for a living. Brad tried to find ways to get out of it. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny. Um, so y- you also did some, uh, some spotting for y- your dad as well, yeah. uh, in Arca and trucks as well. Or? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I've, I've kind of spotted for a lot of different people, different times. As a matter of fact, I just did this weekend for uh, Dennis Setzer's son oh. at, uh, at Hickory, but that was just kind of a happenstance. But, uh, um, I've spotted on the cup side some too, and, and hmm. just trying to, trying to stay involved and keep up as much as you can. So I actually enjoy that part of it a little bit, especially with younger drivers that I can help along as, as a driver from the, the stands. It seems like a lot of drivers kind of ex drivers get involved in that. And that's not too bad. I like that. I probably like crew chief in a little bit more though, just for personally, because I like the mechanic side of the race. Car. Okay. How uh, how much have you been crew chiefing? Uh, um, lately, not as much as I had been. In 2015, actually, was a little more full-time on the ARCA side. Uh, Matt Kurzieski was was driving back then, and he um, he wanted to just start running all the ARCA speedway races. So, mm-hmm. okay, so we kind of went one at a time and said, all right, we'll keep going. We didn't have a lot of cars or a lot of equipment, but uh, in the end of the season, we ended up winning the uh, Super Speedway Challenge, which is a separate point fund than the, the you know overall points. So that was a pretty neat deal. Unfortunately, he went on to another deal and took the sponsor with him. So, you uh-huh. know, I was kind of left holding the bag on that. And since then, I've helped some late model guys and some ARCA guys here and there. But, um, you know, I try to keep involved as much as I can. I was actually at Martinsville a couple weeks ago helping uh, Mittler Brothers out, and we okay, had a pretty sure. good finish there. So yeah. ended up 16th, which was a real good run for them. That is good, and obviously yeah. that's a that's a team that's been around a long time and mm-hmm. gave uh, Jamie McMurray, Carl Edwards yep. some shots in their, their yeah, and truck. And Brad's actually and drove Brad the truck well. before. Yeah. Um, probably a lot of people don't know, but when we sold our truck team, most of the trucks went to Mittler Brothers. Oh, okay. So you know we've got a relationship with them for a long, long time back. Way back when, actually, um, uh, and it's it's not a great part of it, but um, in 2000, when we were going to uh, lose our sponsor and we were looking for a new driver for the next year, we were going to run a truck the last couple of races of the year, and we did, but our driver was going to be Tony Roper, and Tony had oh, gotten yeah, killed in the right, Texas wreck right. the week before we were going to put him in our truck. Oh, wow. So, you know, that's actually how Terry Cook ended up getting the ride and where we progressed from there, so... Um, but you know, it's kind of funny how life happens. Yeah, it is, especially in racing, especially how things are connected as well. Obviously, oh, yeah. Mittler Brothers, um, Missouri based, yeah, I believe, Missouri based, St. Louis, Western. Yep. And Mike's actually got a really big business, um, building race car parts, um, business that a lot of people don't realize is even out there. He builds almost all the pull down rigs for all the NASCAR teams. Oh, okay. Um, so you know, if you're going to get a top of the line pull down rig, you're going to get it from Mike Mittler. Oh, that's that's that. who everybody gets it from. Interesting. Yeah. Again, everything's connected. You just <laughs> sort of have to like dig down a little bit deeper to, oh, yeah. to see those. Uh, so you mentioned that, that the team sold a lot of its trucks to the Mittler brothers and pretty much everything was sold off mm-hmm. except for the name K automotive motorsports, mm-hmm. which I believe did you take it over at that yeah, point? I Brent? basically yeah. just kind of kept it as a name because my parents had built a lot of equity into that and it's yeah. hard to build that in racing. Right. So, um, you know, as you go to different manufacturers, different people that build parts and, you know, parts suppliers, Goodyear, you know, any of them, if you don't have a name, they don't really want to work with you too much. You know, <laughs> they, they don't, I'm mean, not that they won't, but it's sure. just, it makes things a little more easier sure. if, if you've got a, a good established brand. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So that's kind of how I used it. Um, in 2006 and seven, kind of when the truck team was going away, was actually my most successful years in the ARCA series. Um, I, some of that's probably because dad was able to help more. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's kind of where we went. That's when I started winning. Um, in the end of 2007, we ran some nationwide series races and ran pretty good. So uh, I got a ride because of that. Unfortunately, a ride didn't last very long in t- the start of 2008. 
Um, but that kind of got us involved in the nationwide series a little bit more. That's when I started my own team at the end of 08 and then started full time in 09. Right. So, um, you know, we based all that out of Michigan and kept everything going as much as we could. And, um, but it's, it's hard to not have a good name in the sport and keep that going if, if, you don't right. have a name to start with, right. you know. So right. that's kind of how I kept it going, and fortunately, because of that, that that led into a lot of things where people helped me out that I couldn't afford to do it. You know, when I started a nationwide team, it wasn't like I started it because I had a big pocketbook. It's because sure. people financed it, helped me. Right. You know, got engine builders said, "Okay, we'll help you out because we've helped your family out in the past," and I paid them off as soon as I could because I wanted to make sure. That stayed that way, you know. So it's very hard to build a good name in the sport, and I definitely didn't want to ruin that. So you made sixty-three starts, and what was then the Nationwide Series, now mm-hmm. the Xfinity Series, uh, and what, were pretty much all of those your own cars? Um, yeah, much? all but just a few. Yeah. Um, I made a couple starts for Curtis Key just as a start and park deal when I was not doing anything else, sure. honestly. Um, then I drove for Jay Robinson for a few races. Right. Uh, that was a deal I had and started two thousand eight. That didn't really work out, but. Uh, um, yeah, most of them were in my own equipment. Okay. And that was after you'd relocated and you said you have the shop yeah. in Mooresville yeah. and you still have th- that shop up there? I do. Yeah. yeah. I, we're, okay. we're working out a shop in Mooresville. Um, so, you know, we've been there for the last about five or six years now. So, mm-hmm. yeah, um, we actually were based out of Michigan with the nationwide series all the way through the end of 09, which made it actually not as difficult as you'd think because in the nationwide sure. series at that point, we ran a lot of Midwest races. Mm-hmm. You know, we ran Milwaukee and we ran road America um, you know, we ran, uh, IRP, uh, Chicago, you know, a lot of St. St. Louis places like that. So the nationwide series back then you could run out of the Midwest and not be a bad deal because you had about as much travel time as anybody else did. Right. So right. that worked itself out. Um, started 2010, we decided to do something different, move down here. Yeah. Another advantage, I guess, to being based outside of, uh, Charlotte yeah. when the schedule, uh, uh, afford you that kind of uh, leeway. Uh, so, so you moved down here, and um, you, you've, you've raced a little bit. Uh, well, first, I, I just got to ask you this because I was looking at the RacingReference.info uh, site, and I saw that you were sponsored by Brian Kozlowski for President 2016 <laughs> uh, for a few for a few races last year. So, yeah. what is the story behind so, Brian Kozlowski for President um, 2016? A kid out of Iowa decided that he was going to uh, to enter somebody by the name of these nuts. <laughs> yeah. Right? Okay. I remember so this. Yeah. I figured, I'm sitting there listening to that on the radio on the way to the shop one time. I said, well, if that kid can do that, how come I can't just enter? Right. So right. I come home with this crazy idea and, and my fiance, Jen, she's always, why you got another crazy idea? You know, like, yeah, let's just see what it takes. So yeah. I actually entered it. I did all the paperwork, did all the stuff. And I entered for the, the president of the, you know, yeah. in the election. And, um, we had nothing on a race car, so I said, you know what? I'm just going to put that on a race car just for a goof more than anything. So, yeah, yeah that's kind of how that worked out. Okay. Were you, so were you on the ballot somewhere? Well, uh, <laughs> you probably weren't going to be on the ballot until you get a little further into that. There's yeah. a couple different stages I didn't really understand about, and now I know a little bit more. And probably could have made that all work out if I wanted to be on the ballot. Yeah. I got to a point where I was like, all right, I don't know if I want to be that serious about this. <laughs> so, yeah, I didn't really get much further than that. That's funny. Uh, so those starts were, were – with those last year you made three yeah or the or last they? year i made three starts and the year before i made three starts in the arca series yeah um they come out with a new deal kind of like the k&n series where I come out with a composite body that looks very similar to like a cup car right now um but even a step further in arca they came to a spec motor and i was very interested in how all that was going to work so i built one of those cars this first brand new car i've ever built for myself i kind of made it to the point where i could actually build the car um so me and dad built the car from the ground up and um you know, ordered the chassis, but built it all from there. And that was very interesting, and I enjoyed doing that part of it. And we actually had pretty good runs last year, yeah. and we just kept stepping on our toes, something fierce. <laughs> I yeah. don't know. Every time the strategy would be one way, we ended up going the other way somehow, yeah. and it just never worked out. But we had some pretty good runs. So, so no starts this year. Are you, are you still hoping – to do some more races. I was going to hope. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately, sponsorship is pretty difficult to come by right now. But, um, you yeah. know, to go do that series, even an ARCA series, it, it costs a good bit of money to do per race, even for a short track. So yeah. you still have pit crews and tires and travel expenses that somebody's going to have to pay for. No matter if you already own the race car, somebody's got to pay for that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. it's a pretty difficult thing. And the racing purses aren't really high enough to really do that. So, 
somebody else is going to have to come up with the, the money on the front end of that, and that hasn't happened lately. So yeah. that's kind of where I haven't been driving much lately. Yeah, understandable. Obviously, uh, racing is so expensive, and it's all about having a sponsor or having yeah. the connections to get one. And unfortunately, even for guys who have wins or are talented, I mean, you know. It doesn't always work out. It just doesn't <laughs> always work out, obviously. Yeah. Uh, a lot of it is just catching the right breaks. Uh, you certainly have caught a few, though. Uh, and and one of them that I think everybody remembers this was a great story. Was it was it the 2011, 2011 Daytona 500? Yep. Mm-hmm. So that year, uh, one of three starts you made in Cup, you, you make the, the 2011 Daytona 500 through a qualifying race. And was it, you can tell the story, but was it help from Brad in terms of getting a, a Dodge engine? Well, that year? no, actually, um, in 2010, when I first moved down here, mm-hmm. uh, the guy that I kind of had helping me out with the team said, you know, why don't we put a cup car together and go to Daytona? So we actually went down there with Mike Wallace in 2010. Oh, okay. So a lot of people probably don't remember that because we didn't make the race, right? So we went down there and all right, that didn't really work out. But we had bought an engine from Ernie Elliott at the time, which was an old Ganassi motor. So here it is sitting on the floor, and we had a bunch of cars that we actually intended on making into Nationwide Series cars for the start of 2011. Well, I was going to have to dump like 50 grand a car to make that work. Mm-hmm. I said, well, we, we were way behind at the end of 2010. This just isn't going to happen. So what's, what can we do? Well, we've got a cup motor, and we've got basically a cup car sitting here that we have to put a new nose on. But that's it. And you can go to the Daytona 500 and, and at least go run the 150 because that paid to make the 150, mm-hmm. which pretty much everybody makes, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't pay a lot, but it paid. So, all right, well, let's do that. So we didn't really put a lot of money into it. Just, we didn't have it. And we were hoping we had a sponsor deal that kind of fell through at the last minute that we thought we could get a better engine for. But we were pretty much stuck with the car that we were going to have, So, uh, which was an old Evernam car, which honestly, the COT cars hadn't changed that much at, at the time. And uh, other than nose piece, there really wasn't much of a change that you could do. But there's some nuances a super speedway car would have that a downforce car wouldn't normally have. Right. And, um, you know, that's what we had to deal with. So we got there with an old motor and an old car and just said, here we go. And <laughs> that's all we it had. Made the race. So yeah. It was me, my dad, my uncle, and a truck driver. That was your crew. That was it. That, <laughs> that was it for the whole thing. Wow. I mean, it was a lot of work to get through all the tech line and stuff like that. And. You know, but we made it all through it. We made it. We only bought one set of tires because it's all I could afford. But yep. at the time, they had just paved Daytona. Yep. You couldn't wear them out with a grinder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Were hard, right. you know. Right. So we ran one set of tires through practice, qualifying, the qualifying race, everything. No kidding. And wow. they come off after the race and look great. And it's like, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Saved you some money on that front, at <laughs> yeah, least. Uh, you picked the right but, year um, to enter. Yeah. And, and then a lot of things happened in that race that just kind of worked our way where – you know, people got involved in incidents that knocked some cars that we had to qualify out of the way. Uh, mm-hmm. I think Casey Mears was driving a 13 car and blew up right away. So that was a car we had to qualify against. Um, you know, it was a little different package back then. You had to finish in a top two of the go or go home cars to get into that race. Right. Well, that's going to be extremely difficult. The rate, the uh, first duel, because we were in the second one. I think you had to finish 17th or 18th to get in, which right. isn't easy in a cup race by any means, right? So even with 25 cars in a race. But we uh, we said, all right, we'll just do what we got to do here. So during the middle of the race, we got hooked up with Stephen Wallace, who happened to run a cup race then. Um, and that kept us on the lead lap, which was really hard to do. Um, so once we stayed on the lead lap, we got through until Brad got spun out and – it just kind of worked. Um, why it worked, I can't really tell you. Yeah. Um, I did do the test session in the end of 2010, the first time anybody had been on a new paved track. We were there for that. And I did a lot of drafting with a lot of guys back then. And I feel like that probably helped me the most. Right. I kind of have a theory on racers is if you don't belong with those guys, they'll find a way to get you out of there. So <laughs> Especially during like, the draft at Daytona. Yeah, the draft at Daytona. Yeah. I mean, whether they do it on purpose or they don't, mm-hmm. you're either going to get wrecked or you're going to get knocked out of the way. Because right. you're not a normal guy. You're not the guy they race with every week, you know? So right. I think the test session probably helped a lot for people knowing that, okay, this is a guy that isn't going to wreck us. If he gets in the middle, you know, and a lot of people respected the car and, and allowed me to kind of do what I needed to do and, and didn't really do the things that normally happen. Right, right. And so you said Brad got spun out and then was he, this was the year of tandem drafting yeah, as well. Yeah, so when we, everybody was still tandem drafting. Was he everything. pushing you towards yeah, the end? So okay, he, uh, so he, he so it worked out like 20 laps to go. He gets yeah. spun out. Mm-hmm. And, un- and fortunately, he didn't hurt the car. He did go through the right. grass a little bit, but he didn't hurt the car. <laughs> At the same time, we decided to pit under that caution, and one of my guys ran over the wall with no helmet on. 
So I get a Oops. pet road panel. Yeah. Well, it was probably the best thing in the world to happen because it made us both start in the back. And because we had drafted and Brad's back there and he's getting spun out by guys and he's running maybe 15th, 12th, somewhere in there. He's not running all that good. So he's like, you know what? I'm just going to push Brian. Oh, man, did that work? Yeah. <laughs> and he actually learned a lot that at that time, too. And later on that season, he worked with, like, I think it was Dave Blaney. Mm-hmm. Um, and Dave was driving the 10 car. And the reasoning that that worked as well as it did is I actually didn't have the power to pull away from him. So a lot of the times people were having to drag the brakes to try to stay hooked up. I didn't have that choice. I wasn't going to drag the brakes because I was too slow to worry about it in the first place. So we just kept on going. Right. So that's a pretty cool story. Two brothers working (laughs) together to put one of them in the Daytona 500. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, that's really neat. Did you guys talk about that much afterward or no? Not really. (laughs) It was kind of a whirlwind after the race because, you know, nobody expected us to make that. So yeah. between the TV interviews and things, I never even saw my dad or my uncle after the race until, like, long after the race because they took the car and went to tech. And I had to go to the media center and do all that stuff, do all the TV interviews. And I probably didn't get there until two hours after the race. And, you know, we're tearing the car down. Well, NASCAR wants to take the engine. And like, well we don't have another motor. So, you know, they were, they, they actually quite a bit, quite often on that race, they'll tear engines down after the 150 just to make sure everybody's legal. And then you put another engine in for the race anyway. Well, we didn't have one, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. they didn't tear our engine down. They did take it after the 500, which really didn't matter at that right, point. Yeah. But yeah, we, we were still going through tech until I don't even know what time. I think we got out of there midnight or something <laughs> like that. But, yeah. Yeah. It was, we didn't really talk about it a lot. Didn't talk a lot about it beforehand either. Yeah. I've never tandem drafted in my life until that race, about 20 laps into that race. Wow. So I was just along for the ride. Yeah. It was new to everybody. <laughs> that's, that's pretty cool that it worked out for both of you guys. Um, you, you know, you mentioned Brian, like, you know, we were talking about timing and about how things work out. You, you get those ARCA wins. I guess that was like mid-2000. Uh, 2006, seven. Yeah. yeah. So was it – do you feel like if you would have been a winner in ARCA at a time when – that was right around the time the economy was starting to crater and the, mm-hmm. the, the manufacturers obviously were, were pulling back a lot in 07, 08. Um, was it just a case of just the timing there? If you got in your wins at a different time, maybe there would have been more – my whole career seems to be kind of bad timing. <laughs> yeah, you're well, not. I, I know you're know. not alone in this. Yeah, there, there's other drivers who say this. Yeah. In the yeah. mid 2000s, seems to be a lot of drivers that struggled with yeah. just bad timing of, yeah, of yeah. how things work. Um, I actually can trace it back all the way to the 2005 Daytona ARCA race mm-hmm. and say because I couldn't afford to spend a lot of money to make that race, I was there trying to make it. I missed it by one spot, and because of that. Brad's where he is and where I'm, I am where I am. Really? Okay. And it's because, it, it, and that's maybe not true 100%, but because I missed that race, I didn't get approved to run the Bush Series race at California in 2007 when I had the, the ride offered to me. Ah. And because I couldn't get approved to do it, Brad did. And that got him the ride, and I didn't. Okay. So, you know, because there's a lot of chains of, of things that have to happen there, maybe yeah. he would have got it anyway. Who yeah. knows? But that's kind of how that all worked What, out, what so. team was that with? That was-, uh, that was with Keith Coleman, actually. Okay. Keith Coleman racing with the 23 car at the time. Uh, they bought a lot of Bill Davis's assets and were running. Gotcha. Okay. But it was a small team, and they struggled right. a lot, you know. so But still, like you said. That I mean, kept it, that's actually what really got him the junior got him motorsports That by ride. Dale Jr. Yeah. yeah. When he was so he had run car. some trucks and mm-hmm. things like that, and he had started running a little better in some trucks. Um, and he started running that nationwide car. And what really got him noticed was me and Brad used to race online with Dale Jr. and mm-hmm. all them guys, right? Mm-hmm. That's fine and dandy. Everybody can race online with a guy. But he didn't really know him until Bristol in 2007, I believe it was, or six. And um, he, uh, he was running really, really good in practice with a car that Keith had that was just, I think it was junk. Yeah, yeah, but he was parked next to Dale Jr. because he was running a, a junior motorsports car. I think it was a second car or something at the time. Yeah, yeah. Well, he happened to be parked next to each other because of the points. Well, Dale looked at that car and seen where Brad was on the board and was like, "Wow, that was impressive," you know. Yeah. So that kind of got the ball rolling. Yeah, and that's when he got that deal with uh, Jermaine Racing in the Truck Series and showed with a good vehicle that he could run up front. There you go, and that led and to that the junior motorsports ride. Yeah, I was looking. It was funny because you. So you've got one top ten. And 63 Xfinity starts. And I was looking, and it, it happened 
uh, a tenth at Memphis in 2007, mm-hmm. and I was looking, and who finished right in front of you? It was Brad. Brad in the, in the junior <laughs> motorsports car yep. that he just rode running uh, a couple months ago, which, which of course, that performance in 07 and 08, that led to him getting signed by Penske mm-hmm. in 09 and certainly led to where he is now. So, I, you know, I guess the natural question, Brian, I, I, you know, I asked this um, to you like six years ago when I, I did the, the story on Brad when he was first emerging as a as a star in Cup. Um, you know, what's it like to have a brother where you guys both kind of started racing at the same time, started driving at the same time? You probably feel that in some ways you're his equal. Um, well, yeah, what, I mean, you always, like? always feel like, I mean, I feel like I could go out there today and race with him if I really, you know, had the opportunity to do yeah. that. I mean, every race car driver probably feels the same way. If they had the right opportunity, they could go out there and win races just like those guys are. Yeah. Um, no doubt about it. He's running really good with a really good team. So, yep. you know, that's going to be difficult. But, yeah, I mean, you kind of feel left behind a little bit when you're not where you think you ought to be. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm 35 years old now. I feel like I should be running in the Cup Series and then have a shot to win races, but I'm not. So that's, yeah. you know, you deal with it. That's how life goes. So, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, this isn't my first time of sitting there going, man, I really wish I could be over there. Uh, it's, yeah. it's been like that for a few years. But, um, you know, it's if roles were reversed, maybe they would have gone bad. Mm-hmm. And both of us would be sitting on the sidelines and not doing anything. So that probably yeah. is not good either. Yeah. You know, so yeah. um, I'm happy for him to be where he's at. He's got a lot of things going good for him right now. Um, you know, he's got a new wife and a beautiful baby and a great ride and winning races. I mean, things are looking good. Yeah. Is there a sense of pride that uh, after everything the Kozlowski family went through, especially, say, 10 years ago when it looked like the truck team obviously was the end of maybe everything? Yeah, that, that was, he's that carrying was it. probably yeah. one of the toughest times. You know, I've never been through anything like that because as I was growing up, we were starting to get sponsorship and running well and winning races. And that's, you know, where I come from. So yeah. I'm used to success and I'm used to coming up through there. And, you know, we worked hard, but we had success. And when that started going bad, that was, that was definitely a reality check for it. But, um, yeah, uh, yeah, it's kind of a little bit of a vindication back then, you know? So, yeah. um, you know, back in the early two thousands, it kind of felt like Ford that we were with Ford, and some of the people that, that were there at the time didn't really look on us as favorably as, you know, the Roush teams and, you know, some of the other teams that were there. And that's where we kind of lost our deal. And that, that mm-hmm. wasn't a good thing, you know. And then when he got hooked back up with Dodge through Penske, I, I was like, all right, we're on, on the right track again. Then he wins the championship and then that goes away. And now he's hooked up with Ford again. But it's a whole different set of people again. So, yeah. you know, it, it this is definitely a people sport and you got to have good people all around. Don't matter if it's a race team or a manufacturer or anything. So yeah. I feel like he's in a really good spot right now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm going to read you a, a quote from this. Uh, th- this was 2011. So obviously he's won a championship and things are, are different now. But here's what you said about Brad Beck then. You said, um, uh, there's so many drivers that have to bring money to race. Uh, Brad is one of the last guys to come up through the ranks and the trucks and nationwide and never brought money to anyone. He just raced off his talent. His talent got him where he is. At least there's still a chance that talent still gets you somewhere. That's where I feel a pride thing. I feel just as talented as, as he is, and if I have the right chance, maybe I can make the same thing happen as he did. That's probably the biggest thing. Do you still? And that was six years ago, but do you still feel? Yeah, that way? you do know, I actually point? see at least in the Cup Series right now that going the other way than it used really? to, than it used to be, where it's like, you know, the talent is starting to show back up again. Where if you're talented enough, mm-hmm. you don't necessarily have to bring money. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kyle Larson's perfect example. Yeah, Kyle Larson didn't come from a bunch of money. Chip Ganassi just he, put a lot of stock I mean, in. He's yeah. seen Kyle Larson coming up through the ranks and mm-hmm. said, "That's a guy I want to get hooked up with, and I want to get him up and going." And look where he's at now. Mm-hmm. You know, it took a couple of years. Mm-hmm. It should have taken a couple of years. Kyle didn't have a lot of stock car experience. He's a young guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and your most successful point is probably going to be when you're in your late twenties, anyhow. And he's still a long way away from that. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's the you know, I would say Chase Elliott. Chase obviously comes from a racer background and probably had a lot of advantages some people didn't have, but he's really talented and can win races. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of guys like that now that probably weren't there five, six years ago that I felt like a lot of those guys had to bring sponsorship or had very heavily involved where they were not necessarily the most talented guys, but they were the guys that could pay the bills. Right. And I think it's kind of going the other way a little bit right now, which is encouraging for the racing. Yeah, I think that is maybe something that gets overlooked a little bit is, yeah, with this youthful wave of drivers, whether it's Mm -hmm. Blaney or Larson or Chase Elliott, it it does seem as if, and certainly they had breaks, 
but they've made Absolutely. the most of them maximize. Everybody's got to have breaks. Yeah. And somebody's got to come with money from somewhere at some point. You can't yeah. not race yeah. and not have some money, you know? So, yeah. but it's different than if it's like, okay, my dad's just bringing $10 right. million dollars behind me. That's a different deal. And, you know, you're not the best race car driver. You're a 20th place driver and wrecking every week. Okay, that's yeah. you're just kind of a buyer right yeah. guy. You know? Those guys have shown they can Those win. Those guys, are, yeah. yeah, these guys have shown they can win, and they've done it in a lot of different kind of platforms. So I feel mm-hmm. like that's you know they they've shown that they should be there, and they are there, and they're doing success. You know, having a lot of success at it. So. Yeah, uh, well, I'll end here. Uh, one more thing you said back then was uh, that you and you kind of mentioned it already, Brian. But like racing is it. I mean, you don't know anything else, as you said back then. I don't know how to wire or build houses or plumbing. I only know how to work on race cars. I don't want to know how to do any of that other stuff. I just want to work on race cars. So, uh, I guess, you know, what's next for you now? You're not sure about racing, but it sounds like you still got the shop. You yeah, still well, got we still got our shop. Um, I'm still doing, I do some body stuff, you know, it's still all involved in racing. It's not yeah. like I'm going out there and building shelves for home Depot or something, but, yeah. um, I, I'm still going to be very heavily involved in racing no matter what. Um, we're doing something a little different this year where, uh, I actually bought a chassis dyno and a pull down rig Wow! and I've got the fabrication equipment to put bodies on cars. So I'm doing some ARCA cars and K&N type stuff, things like that. And just, I'm starting to go out there to the racetracks. I saw I was Hickory this last weekend and just kind of broadcasting it out there that, Hey, you know what? Come here and you get to use some of the tools that some of the top NASCAR teams use. You know, a lot of teams use chassis dynos and pull down rigs to determine where their their vehicles are and what they need to improve on. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of late model guys, and you know, even as far as the lower series, lower tier truck or Xfinity guys, don't have those kind of things available to them, and can be a, a vast improvement over where they're at. But basically, just shooting in the dark, you know. So, especially now that like the Nationwide Series is on bump stops or bump springs, things like that. Those guys are having a tough time trying to figure all that out. Well, if you don't have these tools, you can't figure it out. Yeah. So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to do that as kind of a a better way to do it, not have to have it in your shop and be a lot less expensive than what they think it's going to be. Right. So so far it's it's been you know received pretty well. I haven't got a lot of business out of it, but I'm only about a couple of weeks into it. <laughs> it takes so, a little while know, to build yeah, the reputation. Bit, so, so, but you bring that that Mittler pull down rig, I yeah. would think, right? You have one of those. Yeah, yeah I've got yeah. a Mittler pull down rig. I worked with Mike Mittler on that rig. I bought it from him. Um, you know, I bought a chassis dyno that actually was NASCAR's old chassis dyno they used to bring to the racetrack. That's oh. in a trailer. Yeah, uh, they don't haven't done that in quite a while. Sure, but they that was available, so I, I purchased that. Um, so now I have it where I could go to a racetrack or a series or things like that. And I've offered it to some of them, um, to try to kind of keep business going. So I don't know how that's going to work just yet. I'm hopeful that this works out and maybe sometime in the future, I can be my own sponsor to go racing again. But you know, <laughs> I've never been good at the making money thing. I've always been really good at the spending money thing. So hopefully this works out and, um, uh, you know, we can keep something going. If you uh, want to make a small fortune in racing, I know that <laughs> the, the edges, you start one. with a large <laughs> one. Uh, well, regardless, man, um, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I hope it works out for you. Um, you know, I'm glad that you're, you're invested in racing, regardless of whether you're driving or, 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 you know, working on the car side, you're, you're doing what you love and, oh, yeah. uh, certainly wish you much luck with it in the future. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Our thanks again to Brian Keselowski for joining us. I really enjoyed that conversation. I think everyone knows Brad Keselowski's story. It's been well chronicled, but I think the backstory about his racing family is just as compelling and filled with some great highs and lows, as well as the embodiment of the blue collar Midwestern principles and values that I really respect and have come to love and treasure. Brad Keselowski, of course, is known for being a great interview and insightful and articulate, but I think it also runs in the family. And you heard some of that from Brian there as well. He might not have made it as a driver the way his younger brother did, but it's great to see him grinding with his new fledgling business, trying to leave his mark in racing. He posted some photos recently of some K&N and Xfinity teams that he had helped out, so I hope that turns out well for him. It's a credit to NASCAR to have those with such passion as he possesses for racing. As I said, what planted the seed for this podcast episode is that he really is quite active and engaging on Twitter, and I think that race fans really benefit from Brian Keselowski's interest that way. We certainly benefit from the help of producer Tess Quinlan. We appreciate her handling the assembly of this episode as always. I'll add that Tess had an idea for an innovative, out-of-the-box style podcast that I began taping last week, and hopefully we will have that for you in the not-so-distant future. 
I'm not going to jinx that one, but I will tell you that I've been taping a flurry of podcasts with several several other guests recently. Upcoming on the NASCAR NBC podcast presented by STP will be Kyle Petty, Max Pappas, Kelly Stavist of NBCSN, and also of NBCSN, Jason Wygant, who will return to talk about NASCAR's first year with Monster and the upcoming outdoor motocross season. If you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a glowing rating and review, as some of you have lately. I'm going to go all Jeff Gluck here and thank longtime Twitter followers Kyle Daly and Jason Fellenbaum, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, for the very kind reviews that they have left recently for the podcast. We appreciate that as it helps spread the word. A reminder that if you like NASCAR America, it's on NBCSN Monday through Thursdays. That keeps you up to date on everything happening in NASCAR. You can check your local listings for start times or go to NBCSports.com slash NASCAR where we have a daily briefing on when it starts and what will be on the program. And you can also stream the show or find replays and video clips at www.NBCSports.com slash live. If you've got ideas for the NASCAR and NBC podcast, send them to me on Twitter at Nate Ryan is my handle. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the NASCAR and NBC podcast presented by STP. I'm Steve Letarte, STP auto expert and former crew chief. I know what it takes to keep engines performing at their best. STP's latest breakthrough additive, STP Ultra 5-in-1 plus Fuel System Cleaner plus Fuel Stabilizer delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline and helps keep fuel fresh during storage. For over 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products to help engines run better, longer. One bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.